Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining as me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Woo, Raptors, yay. And joining me, and welcome back, is Kitty McCarthy. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, it's very exciting to be back. I just got back from E3. Are you still alive? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, woke up and, like, I posted immediately in Slack, like, I have a really bad sore throat. And then, but I'm feel- feeling better now. So, you know, I'm on the right track. Well, we're going to talk to you about all the things that you saw at E3, because you got to have hands-on with Final Fantasy VII Remake. You got mm-hmm. to talk to the folks behind Cyberpunk, and you saw a lot of other things. And interested to hear your thoughts on that. Um, in the meantime, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is on Twitter at Nadia Oxford. And Katie is on Twitter at YouMayKatie. And you can find follow all of our social accounts at USGamerNet. Make sure to follow our newsletter, which comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what did you write about in the most recent newsletter? I actually wrote a bit about how uh, a very interesting piece of news came up. Uh, obviously, Breath of the Wild 2 was revealed, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but the uh, I read something saying the producers for that, sorry, the developers on that, are actually inspired by Red Dead Redemption 2. So I was wondering, what kind of lessons can uh, Breath of the Wild 2 take from Red Dead Redemption 2, Arthur? Interesting. <laughs> well, if you want to read the full thing, you should subscribe to the newsletter, and you can get little pearls of wisdom from Nadia. Sure, let's call them pearls of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so Katie, you're at the show, you're on the show floor. What was the energy? What did you kind of take away from this year's show? It was weird. Like, it <laughs> felt very empty. Like, there's like no... So I feel like everyone the past couple of years has been complaining about how it's so crowded now that the public's let in. And there was like no one there. It was weird and like the show floors had like a weird vibe because like nintendo was the only one that had like an on-floor presence really mm-hmm. so it was just like very strange uh the south hall was like more pop and that had like square enix and gearbox had a huge borderlands booth um and the nintendo's in west hall and they had they took up like almost all of west hall like it was just like so much nintendo space and then like other things there was a weird energy drink stage in the south hall that uh, brought Booth Babes back, so that was weird. Oh boy, just everyone. And wanted. it wasn't even like they're giving them away for free. You had to buy them. I was like, <laughs> what the what's, <laughs> what's the point? How like, cheap can you get? Right, right. Energy drinks like, are cheaper than piss at those events. You usually they just hand them out like candy, you know? Like, yeah. That's been my experience at like anime expo and stuff. Like, it's yeah, no, weird absolutely. Free shit, but not here. It was like you could buy this energy drink and watch these like girls dance and like <laughs> booty shorts. It was very strange. I was like, where am I? Yeah, by the end of the show, people were posting pictures on Thursday and man, the show was completely dead. Like nobody there was, was there. No one. Yeah, last there day was, was dead. No one. So the correct answer obviously is don't go the first day, go the last day. Yeah, I mean I feel like every day was like there are still lines. Like the public like you're still probably waiting in line for like a couple hours but i don't think it was like as bad as maybe the past two years but maybe it's also because it was a way weaker convention you know it's like microsoft is off-site and yeah. they were i think like mostly appointments i don't know if they had like a public thing actually ea play was like on the weekend activision was even there it was just like a very strange thing it was weird yeah and sony wasn't even there as well yeah, and yeah. In the past, they've always had a giant Sony booth where you could mm-hmm. at least have a ton of kiosks and you could play a lot of different PlayStation 4 games. So Yeah, I kind of missed the Microsoft booth and the PlayStation 4 booth staring each other down across the aisle like Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> Montagues yeah, and Capulets. Just, just Nintendo all by itself in the center, basically. And then they had, they had a cool Gooigi statue. I took a picture of it. And they also had the Pokemon starters. And they, I thought that was cute. And then uh, Monster Hunter World or Capcom had like a huge like dragon, and I was like, "Whoa, it's like a little scary." It's like right by the Square Enix booth. <laughs> oh, I saw that. I saw pictures of that—the big kind of reindeer dragon thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it looks really cool. It was huge. I don't think it helped that so many developers are punting to 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a rumor on the street that Breath of the Wild 2 will be out next year. 
Microsoft is going obviously big with Scarlet next year and Halo Infinite. PS5 is coming out next year. A lot of the biggest games won't be shown until the next E3. Whereas this show was a lot of games that we already kind of knew about. Like, yeah, we got to see Final Fantasy VII Remake for the first time, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like it just kind of came out of nowhere. We had already seen Cyberpunk at uh, in, at some length. Um, there was stuff like Watch Dogs Legion, but ultimately mm-hmm. there's only so much excitement that a game like Watch Dogs can drum up. So it, it wasn't underwhelming so much as so much of it was already known. Uh, were known quantities and it was hard to be like oh we have to go play this game at this show i think final fantasy is probably the biggest thing that people were scrambling to play because like i saw like a public line so basically like what like i had an appointment thing but they were kind of filtering in people from the line from like okay everyone raise your hand if you're playing this and then we're gonna bring in like x amount of people from this public line so that was probably like the big I gotta see this thing, but like there mm-hmm. really wasn't anything else that like I guess fits that description. So, Katie, speaking of Final Fantasy VII remake, you actually got to play it mm-hmm. and check it out, and you got the big presentation, and everything. You wrote some breakouts for us over on the site. We ended up calling Final Fantasy VII remake the game of the show. Nadia and I have already gushed about it on the podcast based on the demo that we saw. But what's it like to actually play it? Yes. I feel like there's a really good rhythm to the combat. So the big hands, hands-off hands demo they showed us, which is basically just the intro to the game, like it's like right after Cloud hops off that train. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot more in, or they definitely pared it down for the hands-on demo because there's like systems that were not in the Sentinel fight that were in like the intro stuff. So, that, which I thought that was really weird, but I guess it makes sense because it's like, you need something a little easier to like, ease people into this and just give them a taste of like what this combat's like uh but yeah so like the hands-on with it there's like i feel like a really good flow of hopping between cloud and barrett uh because like you're managing like your atb charges so basically like when you have like a full i think both of them have like two bars of eight their atb charges just charges over time and also faster if you do damage Mm -hmm. and when you fill up one bar you can do an ability so basically you go into like bullet time when you're like I forgot what button you press, but you basically just go into bullet time and you can like choose like a magic ability or a strength ability or do a limit break if you have like that meter filled up. And so it's, yeah, the flow comes in like you're managing those charges and then you're switching between them like, okay, I'm going to do this like ability that uses like two of Barrett's ATB charges, but then I'm going to switch back to Cloud immediately when he's done because Cloud is now building up higher. So it's like you're kind of ping-ponging back and forth between the two characters. And it's actually, like, pretty satisfying and pretty fun. I found, like, the boss to be, like, a little bit clunky. Like, it was like, oh, we gotta hide behind this debris. And it was it was a little weird in that sense. I don't think it was, like, an amazing boss fight. I'll be honest, the, the first boss fight in Final Fantasy VII is really clunky to begin with. I, I don't know, Square yeah. Enix at the time was going through this whole phase where they where they made the first bosses of their Final Fantasy games as clunky as hell yeah. for some reason. So, yeah, I'm not surprised somehow. Yeah, it, it was a, like a little strange, uh, and I don't... I, maybe I just don't have a handle on like the dodging and stuff yet, because I found that to be like a little hard to get a handle of like where... This, like because there's like a few moves that the scorpion does like sometimes he just like pounds into the floor in front of you and stuff and it's it was hard to get a handle of like okay like where do i need to be outside of this range of like damage fire or whatever uh so that was like a little hard to get a handle of like i i think i only died once in the boss uh it was like pretty easy other than that but again they like definitely simplified the controls and probably lessened the difficulty because it's the first big boss uh but yeah, it was. Uh, I I don't like Final Fantasy 15. I've made this known pretty widely across the site. Uh, so I was worried that this combat would feel like that, and I'm pleased to say it doesn't. It feels like pretty distinct, and I think the like bullet time type thing helps give it like a level of strategy that would be missing if it was just like a pure just action game. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it feels really good to play and i'm excited to see more of it and i guess that's very soon because it's coming out like march right or is it april march no it's, no, it's gonna be out in march. march yeah, yeah. beginning of march yeah so i'm curious uh we were kind of wondering how exactly the limit breaks work you said there's an extra gate 
Yeah, so you have two ATB, you have the ATB meters, and then next to it you have the limit meter. Um, and I don't remember how that charges up, but I'm, it might be the same thing of, like, just damage stuff. Uh, but yeah, so basically it's, like, a, just, like, another, it's almost, like, an extra ATB meter, but it has a, so it's, like, a limit break ability. And I forgot what clouds and barriers probably are, braver. There's, like, extra, there's, like, extra strong abilities, you know? Um, yeah. And there's also, like, in, in the hands-off demo they showed us, there's another thing where it's, uh... If you press triangle, you can enter a different mode for your character. So for Cloud, he can go into, I think it's called Punisher mode, where he starts moving very slowly, but his attacks are way stronger. So if you're in like a one-on-one battle, that might be a good way to clear that person, mm-hmm. like a tough enemy out. And then you can switch back to the other mode, and Barrett has like a similar other mode. Uh, and yeah, it just seems like they're trying to think they're almost like thinking of this almost as like a turn-based game even though it's very action oriented because you're like switch or more like maybe like real i don't know real-time turn-based is that a thing but like sure. you're like <laughs> it is now i guess yeah so. it's called Baldur's gate <laughs> <laughs> have not played that so oh yeah hearing you talk about final fantasy 7 remake is a giant relief to me because I was kind of in the same boat with you. I, I like Final Fantasy XV better, but I thought the combat was definitely the weakest part of that game. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous that it was going to be your fairly typical kind of square thing where the characters are flying around. It's very hack and slash and yeah. confusing with crazy camera angles. And I was just bracing myself to be really disappointed in that regard. So to hear that it's kind of slower, more tactical, more thoughtful is awesome yeah much yeah i i left that demo being like oh cool okay so this isn't this is better than i thought it would be which is a good thought to have when i was worried about it so you also saw cyberpunk 2077 Mm -hmm. um they had an interesting weekend because they started out really strong with Keanu Reeves being debuted as Johnny Silverhand, but then there was a lot of discussion about a poster that depicted a transgender person in a really sexualized pose for an energy drink thing. And then there was a lot of discussion about CD Projekt's kind of troubled history with social media and such and transgender issues in general. And so they were kind of on the defensive about that. And also RPS put out a pretty harsh preview in which they were really going after the gunplay and a lot of, and were just really down on it. Yeah. So having seen the demo yourself and had a chance to talk to the developers, what's your take, Katie? Um, I I'm like I love The Witcher 3. I've said this like a billion times. So I'm still like cautiously optimistic about that game, but the demo we saw wasn't super amazing. Because I, I kind of follow on how RP... Like, I still think it looks like... The world looks, ama- like, super cool. And I feel like they're doing very interesting stuff abilities and class-wise. Like, in terms of, like... You're gonna be, like, choosing, like, a life path for your character. And you have, like, a distinct, like... Characterization based on that. And you'll, like, open up dialogue choice. It's, like, a very RPG-y thing, you know? But, like, yeah, the gunplay just doesn't look great. It looks kind of, like, you know, by the numbers... I don't, obviously it wasn't hands-on, so it's, like, a weird thing to, like, judge based solely on sight, you know? It's, like, I feel like I almost want to wait to hold that judgment or pass that judgment until I get hands-on. But, like, a cursory watch of, like, that hour-long demo, I was, like, that's just in the, it was just, like, combat arena, you shoot things, you hop into cover, you, Mm -hmm. but the ability stuff, like, they switch between two separate builds. They switch between a Netrunner build who could, like, hack stuff. Uh, so they, they would, like, hack a turret, and that was kind of cool. Like, it felt kind of like Deus Ex-y. And then, but then they switched to another build that was, I can't remember the name of it, but they were kind of, like, a more tough person. So their big thing is, like, they could just, like, straight up, like, rip open doors instead of, like, hacking cool. off a security camera or something. Or That's they my could, dude. Yeah, right? Or they could, like rip out a turret and then use that turret and they're just like more of a strong person uh and then yeah like the so that type of stuff seems really fun and potentially interesting uh like the you know character build stuff but the yeah the shooting just doesn't look that great and like the demo was fine and keanu reeves in it a lot so that was like another thing i was surprised about is that keanu reeves is like pretty prominent in this game he's a 
digital ghost of Johnny Silverhand, who's, I guess, a prominent character in the tabletop series. And he's, like, a digital ghost. So he'll just, like, pop up and just start talking to you. And, like, he's kind of like the voice inside your head type thing. So, but, yeah, I, that was something I was surprised about because I, I was expecting this to be, like, you know, the extent of a Call of Duty cameo where they're, like, the villain or they're, like, barely a character and they just, like, sh- show up and it's like, yeah, I did, like, mocap for a day. But, no, like, Keanu seems like he's he's gonna be in this game a lot. And that's, like, pretty much, from what I gather, gonna be the central mystery is, like, what happened to him. And you find, like, graffiti around... There's a graffiti at one point that so, like, where's Johnny? So it's, like, he's definitely, like, a big figure in this world. And V, your character, is the only person I could, like, see and interact with them, basically. Man, shows how much, how far CD Projekt has come that they were able to get Keanu Reeves at the height of his powers. Right? At the height of his power, like he's a werewolf. Which he could, people do speculate he's a vampire. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, I'm, like, ten, yeah, like, cautiously optimistic, um... I talked to the developers, I'm, uh, but yeah, like, we talked pretty candidly about, like, you know, quest direction, that type of stuff, and also the controversies from this week of, like, the poster thing, and also all, you know, all that stuff, uh, so, yeah, I don't know, it's, I'm excited for the RPG parts of Cyberpunk, but maybe (laughs) not the shooting, so, So it sounds very CD Projekt. Yeah, exactly, yeah, like, yeah, like, you were bringing up earlier in our Slack, like, the Witcher's combat's been, like, the hev- most heavily criticized thing, I think. So I feel like that's going to be another case here. Like, maybe the shooting's going to be the thing that people don't like about this game, but then everything else, everyone's like, wow, amazing, you know? I think that RPGs tend to show really poorly because it's so hard to get a good vertical slice out of oh, them. for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't see the, the way that all of the storylines connect, the the choices that you're making... I remember when Witcher 3 was being shown years ago, it mainly was focused on the hunt with the the griffin, which admittedly looked really neat, but did not come close to highlighting everything that you could do in that game and everything that made it so special. I feel like the last year's demo, which I think they streamed in like the month after E3 or something, I think that made me more interested in that game than the demo they showed us this E3 for. I don't... I can't really put my finger on why. Um, maybe because it was, like, less flashy. It was, like, a le- way less flashy demo. Like, there's a cool, like, motorcycle sequence where it's, like, they're, like, yeah, you can customize your motorcycle and drive third or first person. Uh, so you'll be able to see your <laughs> character you customize, at least, like, in third person driving <laughs> Yay. if you want. and drive a motorcycle. That yeah. sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, like, man, I'd, like, make it look like the Akira bike. There you go. Yeah. Now, now you're yeah. thinking with gas. Yeah now i'm thinking i'm excited i it didn't like blow me away like i think last year where i was like yeah i'm into this and then i saw like the demo thing a month later i was like okay i'm really into this but yeah now i'm like oh eh. yeah, i'm into this but keanu so it's gonna know, be awesome i'll still probably love it yeah yeah exactly like i i don't think i'm gonna not like that game type thing i i am struggling to imagine a scenario in which cyberpunk 2077 is bad Maybe if it's, like, really offensive somehow, you know? You never know. Like, they... they when I interviewed them, or the quest director, uh, he gave me, like, a lot of context for some of the stuff that I was, like, a little bit concerned with in the demo. Um, and some a lot of the names that people are getting hung up on are actually from, like, the original tabletop RPG. Like, the Voodoo Boys gang of, like, the Haitians who came in to build this, like, lavish vacation sit- or district called Pacifica. And then the corporations, like, abandoned building up the city so now it's just like a place where people squat mm. and that was like where this demo took primarily a place in which i found really fascinating because you see kind of like the remnants of these like half-built skyscrapers and these people just like li- like that were just basically brought over to the city and then abandoned uh and yeah like i hope the i mean the story is definitely gonna dig into that type of stuff and i feel like that's like the smaller details of the world is what i feel like i'm the most interested in so far like i don't really have a idea of how the main story is going to go like they haven't really told much about that which is weird so some other games that are relevant to our audience's interests that are on the best of e3 2019 awards list which you can find over on the site uh i don't know if you would necessarily call this an rpg but it was written in part by chris avalon this dying light 2 which is really shaping up to be a kind of a sleeper hit i think 
Yeah, I... So, it's weird. Like, yeah, I would... I don't know if I'd call Dying Light 2 an, an RPG either, but I feel like the choice-driven stuff definitely reminds me of an RPG. And, like, you, you said... You just said, like, earlier that it's hard for RPGs to show a sliver of how, like, your choices matter and stuff. And I feel like Dying Light 2 did a really good job of that in their hands-off demo. Like, it's like a... They show, like... There's two basically big choices you can make that demo that can like drastically impact not just like the story but the world itself uh so i wrote about this on the site but i'll just recap it very quickly here uh you're basically this guy named aiden caldwell i think and like in dying light the original one there's zombies and there's humans but instead of the first one where a lot of it is you're like going out to scavenge for supplies to keep the people alive because that takes place like i think directly after the zombie thing uh, Dying Light 2 takes place 15 years later, so you're in this place called The City, and it's just like this giant, it's like the last remaining bastion of civilization, essentially. And it's kind of like a lot of European, it's in Europe, apparently, so it's like a lot of, it's a very diverse city. And you're going to meet up with like this truck or something, but then a fight breaks out, and then your friend Frank gets shot. So you have like this timed window, and you can either go find a doctor for your buddy Frank who just got shot, or you can chase after the truck and, like, go to this, like, fortress to sneak in and turn on the water water valve supply because the city needs water or something. They didn't really explain that very clearly. So, our demo player decided to go to chase after the truck. And then it's going fine and we're getting updates on, like, the guy's health. And I kind of, like, I was like, oh, he's probably going to die or something. And then, yeah, like, right as we're about to, like, sneak into this facility, we learn, oh, he died. <laughs> So it's like a big thing where it's like, apparently this major character just dies because you didn't go help him. Um, and apparently he's like part of your like crew in the beginning. And then you sneak into this place and this guy confronts you and he's like, I know where there's water. You don't, these valves don't work. Like, I will show you where to bring water back into the city elsewhere because they're theoretically using this water. This, I think his name's the Colonel or something. Uh, and so you have like this other split sex a split second decision like you can agree with like side with this current this stranger and like believe him and go get your water supply for the city elsewhere or you can fight him and turn on the water supply and save the city uh so the demo player chose the ops like the turning on the water valves there's like a big battle big boss fight and then turned on the water and apparently like when you do that you uh a district of the city like submerges from like underwater so now you can explore this new area but now there's like a new scary zombie that's like appearing that's gonna start appearing throughout the world and apparently those are the types of decisions that or there's like a few i'm guessing there's like not that many of those type of big decisions but how you play the game unlocks certain parts of the open world and like on one playthrough you won't see like 50 percent of the game which seems like really fascinating and if they pull it off like that's pretty astounding yeah more than just because we get so many it's like yeah the story changed but when you're changing like the mechanics you're unlocking and the world types like the parts of the world that you're seeing that's pretty crazy that totally is uh pretty crazy i wish that i could be more into it because i don't know uh, zombies are kind of a deal breaker for me they're like barely in it from what we saw like they're pretty much like Nighttime, you're going to be facing zombies. Daytime, you'll be facing humans. And this definitely seems to be leaning into the human side of this more. Uh, but there didn't, like, pl- there weren't, like, there's, like, it's not like there's no zombies in this game. It's, they're still present. But this, I don't know. I I don't know if the story's super selling me yet. I'm more interested in, like, humanity building itself up after a collapse. Like, I feel like that's always ripe for interesting things. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. And the I feel like the movement and traversal reminds me a lot of Mirror's Edge, which is why I was curious about the first game, because I love Mirror's Edge, like, even the new one. I don't know. <laughs> Call me crazy. But I love, like, good first-person parkour. I think it's super fun. And this game just looks like it has a lot of that, and it blends it into the combat. And I've heard it has, like, really good melee combat, which I also love when that's done right. So, I, I don't know. I'm, re- I'm really excited for Dying Light 2, which I did not expect to say coming out like when i had that appointment i was like i don't know anything about the first game so like came out and i was like oh this this looks sick okay games that uh, a game that i am more interested in that i didn't think i would necessarily be interested in was fire emblem three houses and i know that i'm traditionally a fire emblem fan but i was kind of side-eyeing it because it seemed to be 
down on it. Yeah, uh, because it seemed so, I don't know, it, it was getting into some pretty hoary uh, anime tropes with its Battle Academy stuff. But uh, Eric Van Allen, who also really likes Fire Emblem, checked it out and ended up saying that was one of the best games he saw at E3. He said that the actual combat is very Fire Emblem, though they have some interesting twists, like they get rid of the weapons triangle and, quote, add some fascinating twists to combat with battalion gambits and combat arts, ramps up the scale, layers of management, slim slash dating game over the top. So it sounds pretty neat. And... Uh, his preview ended up getting a fair amount of interest from people because, I mean, well, he talked at some length about what it means for the gameplay to get rid of the weapons triangle, which yeah. undergirds the entirety of the gameplay. But I, I think there's a lot of interest in this game in general. I was going to say, it's actually pretty gutsy to get rid of the uh, the weapons triangle because uh, that's like been like the basis of the game for so long. Although, um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Shadows over Valencia not have it? Yes, because it was one of the older games. Right, and how did like how did that work out? Was it like really te- it's kind of a grind? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's so stats focused instead. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, so the tactical component ends up getting lost a little bit. Right, right. But I I guess that's not going to be a problem. I can't really see them saying, "Hey, let's get rid of this beloved mechanic and let's grind more." How about that? Another game from you, Katie. That you ended up checking out. John Hick, John Wick Hex, which you describe as XCOM meets Super Hot. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, I, I saw, I, and then, like, after I thought of that description, I literally saw a headline that said that, so I guess I'm not alone with that <laughs> comparison. Uh, but, yeah, it's like, you know, a strategy game uh, on, like, a hex grid, so it's technically like a hex game. Uh, and you... I don't know. You you have, like, strategy stuff. So, like, you have, like, a percentage, like, an XCOM of, like, okay, like, what's the likelihood of me actually making this shot or making this ability work? Uh, but it's all, like, super hot. So, like, when you move, the enemies move. So, it's, like, whatever action you're taking, like, if you're bandaging up, it will take, like, X amount of seconds. And that's the amount of seconds that the enemies are also moving. So, you have, like, a timeline on the top of your screen and you're kind of, like, mapping out, like, okay, like, I have, like... If I shoot, it's going to take, like, 0.6 seconds. I don't remember if that's the actual time, but it's, like, that's that. But there's also a certain... There's, like, a, a window of you pulling out your pistol that's accounted into that. So you have to, like, look at, like, okay, what is this enemy going to do? Mm-hmm. And you're going to be... You have to, like, map out, okay, so I can get in a shot here because they're slower at pulling it... Or getting into a range where they can pull out their gun and shoot me. But then there's sometimes where it's, like oh, if I try to shoot, I'm going to get shot. So I should, like, crouch and roll and then shoot. And there's, like, all these sorts of... And it's, like, you're moving, yeah, like, in a... forwards and backwards and, like, diagonal sometimes and, like, usually within, like, a couple spaces. Uh, but I thought it was, like, so fun. Like, I could see myself getting really into that game. Like, it's it's just, like, really cool. It, like, feels good. And it feels very John Wick. Like, you have your gun and everything but every time you're out of ammo if you don't have like an extra magazine clip you have to get a new gun so like in an act of desperation you could throw your gun at someone (laughs) you can like pick up anyone's gun after you take them down there's like all of these aspects that just like feel very john wick ish and it just like feels really cool and i don't know like i love like or i've been like i used to be or i had like a phase with like xcom 2 ages ago but like I kind of fell off that type of game, and I feel like between this and I think it's Overland, which I think is coming to Switch later this year, too. Um, and John Wick, I think, is only confirmed for PC and Mac so far. It's an Epic exclusive, uh, and that's coming to consoles later, and they didn't say which consoles. Uh, but, yeah, like I, I'm like, man, between John Wick Hex and Overland, like these strategy games are kind of taking on a new style and like tweaking the familiar formula in cool ways. And yeah, I don't know, that game's really cool. Some games that ended up being in our staff favorites, but ultimately did not make the list. And there were a couple of surprising ones. One was Cyberpunk, mostly because, as you were saying, Katie, you were a little more down on the demo this year. And another one was Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yeah, not because of me. (laughs) Eric was saying that maybe we should put it on there, but I was kind of pushing back against it because, well, first of all, the demo that they were showing at E3 was somewhat limited. And I think that everything uh, at E3 was totally subsumed by 
well, the revelation that not the entire Pokedex is going to be making its way over to Sword and Shield, which I ended up writing some words about that over on the site. You should go read them. But suffice it to say, I'm a little, I'm a little unhappy about this. Yeah. I feel like you're so mad. I'm like, <laughs> I can't see the big deal, but I, got, I'm a, I guess it's bad. <laughs> um, I can understand where, you're, where people, where Cat and other people like that are coming from. I understand, yeah. as Cat says, Pokemon is a franchise that a bit, had been, you know, with us for so long. And to just kind of yoink our favorites at, at this stage in the game is kind of a crappy thing to do. But I also honestly believe that that game freak will be adding in the pokemon as um as time goes by especially now that the you know the uproar has been what it has been uh i mm. i see where they're coming from and that yes modeling 800 pokemon in hd is, is no small task like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, a lot of labor so if they can't have it already at once then okay fine you know if they can tell us well okay we'll work on this i i think that would probably soothe a lot of uh a lot of troubled hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's kind of hanging over Pokemon that nobody really talks about is the fact that they have a lot of work to do and they cannot delay it. Exactly. There's, there can't be a delay. Yeah, there is no delaying Pokemon. There's nothing. It's not like Animal Crossing where you can push it into 2020. It is part a one cog in an extremely complicated marketing machine. And it must come out <laughs> when it comes out. So therefore, I think they just don't have time to model all of them. And they're just giving them space, themselves space to be able to add in older ones uh, a little bit later, whether through mystery gifts or updates or whatever. But, I mean, just talking about it kind of casually, it ended up kind of subsuming the entire narrative around Sword and Shield. And I, I, maybe for good reason, because I think, as I was writing in my article... So much of the appeal of Pokemon is the sense that it's this big connected world and that mm. the adventures that you had in previous games matters, that it's not just hitting a reset switch every time. And people have these giant collections that they've built. There are people who play just because they want to obsessively collect every single Pokemon and have their quote-unquote living Pokedex. There are the people who are completely obsessed with getting the rarest of rare, 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 rare Pokemon. The Mm -hmm. shinies that have specific dates and specific times and can be validated to be from this game in this year at this event, right? And if you can't bring that over, that is breaking the game for a lot of those people. And as for me, like I had come to find a lot of enjoyment in bringing over all my friends from the previous games and rolling through the, the content in this one, almost like it was a big content update for one of those crazy platform games like Division 2 or something. And I, I know in my heart that my favorites are not, at least one of my favorites, probably multiple of my favorites are not coming over. There's just no way that Infernape is going to be in this one. Why do you keep saying, why do you think Infernape's not going to make it? I it's think not all popular enough. You don't think so? No. I, I can see all the starters coming over. No, I don't think so at all. I, I think be, that I feel like the starters are like maybe the ones that would make in it. Ruby yeah, and Sapphire. In Ruby and Sapphire, they didn't bring over any of the starters. That was kind of different, though. That was a really different time for Pokemon. I think. I guess I I think they'll bring over the original red and blue ones because they're so iconic. But the rest, yeah, I, I can't just see them being left so. behind. By and if means. any and if any Pokemon's going to get left behind, it's probably Infernape because Infernape's <laughs> just not popular enough. And it's going to be a, on a popularity scale. So and they did kind of hint at that already, I guess. <sighs> yeah. So I'm. I mean, so I'll be able to get some over. I'll be able to get some over. It'll be fine. I will survive. I'm sure that more will be added in later. I'm sure that at some point they'll release a game that has all of them. Hooray! But it's uh, just funny to have to go to show how how different Pokemon players are because I am just not in it for that collection aspect whatsoever. I am just in it like to you know wander around and have fun and and you know enjoy the story, enjoy the characters. Uh, I can totally see where people are coming from if they want to be into the collection aspect. That's the whole point of the series, at least at first. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm the kind of person who I start all over again with a new Pokedex, and it doesn't bother me at all every time I play a new game. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. But, I got, yeah, like, I understand, like, where, if you've been bringing it forward every game, that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they announced, like, they're doing DLC of, like, fa- like other, like, and, like, you know, that would be a way for them to make money. 
we'll buy it <laughs> oh, yeah. to get these characters back, you know? So, I, I don't know. I'm guessing they're probably feeling the backlash over in Japan. <laughs> like, because oh, yeah, that's probably. all anybody's been talking about all week. By far our highest trafficked article of E3 was our interview with the Pokemon folks, where, like, they specifically mm-hmm. address it. And, yeah, I mean... You're right. Pokemon is many different things to many different people, and there will be probably millions of people who buy this game and do not care that previous Mm -hmm. characters come out. But as with all things, the members of the hardcore community uh, are the ones who stick around, and they are the loudest and most annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) They are certainly the loudest. Yes, and I I think I went temporarily insane uh, this week. (laughs) I mean, didn't we all? It's E3. It is E3. You know? We're all a little bit loopy right now. I said some things I'm not proud of on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were you were really getting into it, some people. It was pretty great. I was really mad. And I try not to be mad on the internet, but that was... A, <laughs> you broke the rule. <laughs> it broke me. It broke me. Uh, I'm okay. I will, I will survive. But, oh, man. Your heart oh, will man. scar eventually, Kat. You're going through, like, the stages of grief. There you, know? you go. Yeah, exactly. Anger. You're, you're mourning Infernape, who might not <laughs> yeah. even be dead yet. You don't know. I'm mourning yeah. my pals. I'm mourning my pals. But, yeah, so I'm sure we'll talk about this more and ad nauseum uh, once Pokemon Sword and Shield comes out. But on a happier note, Breath of the Wild 2 is a thing. It's kind of yeah. 50-50 yeah. RPG. We only got a tiny tiny trailer but i mean the majora's masking it i'm so excited this is like what i wanted i was like i want them to majora's mask this shit so it's gonna i want them to do some weird dark shit and they're doing it and it's gonna be great i'm so excited here's my 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 theory for breath of the wild 2 are you ready yes my theory mm-hmm. is that it will be a co-op game that's no, what some people uh... are saying i mean not like mandatory co-op of course but some people right. are saying like you know play as link or play as zelda I'm saying... It would be cool to play as Zelda. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that either you can play as Link or you can play as Zelda or you can play as both. And it can be a situation where there's split screen or one person's playing on the TV and the other person's playing on their Switch. And honestly, um, my partner loves Breath of the Wild. She loves Zelda. And I think that she would be so pumped to be able to play Breath of the Wild for me. And I think that would be an amazing addition if as long as it's optional and not mandatory yeah if it's optional also, it's it has to be good because like I, maybe because i'm coming right off playing wolfenstein youngblood which didn't have great co-op and i'm kind of worried about that game i'm like it has to be like built for that mm-hmm. but also to like not feel like shit to play solo like that's such a hard balance to strike so I'm definitely curious. Nintendo's pretty good at doing that, though, with the uh, the newer Mario games. Mm, I mean, like the Cappy was kind of like barely there. It's more like if you're playing with a kid. Oh, I mean, like sorry, I mean like the new up. Super Mario, like the 2D ones. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, like Odyssey, and I was like, oh, I was like. The thing that I'm curious about is uh, another theory that I kind of had was watching the trailer. I kind of wonder if it's going to be less open and much more of a focused dungeon crawler, which would be a very mm. strong departure from the original Breath of the Wild. Yeah. I mean, they showed the map at the end there, so I figured hmm. maybe not. There was a, a theory that Game Explain put forth that I am here for. I think that since Zelda games typically have that, you know, that flip side slash dark world theme going on, uh, I think it's possible that when we see the castle rise at the end, it could be that Link and Zelda and Ganon are just kind of being teleported elsewhere. Um, I don't know if you recall, mm. but in A Link to the Past, uh, the whole idea of the Dark World was it was a place where Ganon like ruled supreme. It was his realm. It was mm. it was a place he could draw a Link into if the, if the circumstances were right. So if they kind of revisit that for uh, Breath of the Wild too, I think that could be pretty interesting yeah i agree it'd be cool to see like an overworld or underworld type thing yeah because uh zelda games like the best game they have just like really good underworld i mean look at like uh Mm -hmm. we were talking about tremina and majora's mask that's a a great realm Mm -hmm. Uh, that was nintendo using like reusing aspects uh reusing assets really expertly uh Mm -hmm. same with um again a link to the past you have the dark world which even though it's just a palette swap in many ways just feels so different uh, same with Low Rule, which is still a terrible name, but it was a great place to visit. The Dark of the World <laughs> and Link to the Past, it didn't feel like a palette swap to me. 
exactly because it had so much of its mm-hmm. own feeling and it had its own mm-hmm. unique characters different music different architecture like the pyramid instead of the castle i thought it was rad yeah and like yes. spawning in in different areas like land you like it's uh, yeah Lisa pass is so good yeah and, like, yeah it definitely wasn't a straight good. up uh is again it's not like termina where it's not a straight up palette swap by any means but it is basically mm-hmm. nintendo you know expertly taking these these assets they already have and saying how can we how can we change them in a way that feels makes them feel different and they're really good at that mm-hmm. yeah well i think that that one teaser alone uh nintendo's very smart because it completely took the edge off animal crossing being delayed Yes. And just got everybody going nuts over Breath of the Wild sequel. So good on you, Nintendo. You won E3 again. They and not only that, they kept an actual surprise. We were genuinely surprised by this thing that came out of nowhere. And Kat and I, you know, we were talking about in our last show how there's just no surprises with E3 anymore, thanks to leaks. But there was a big surprise. Yeah, I'd heard whispers that Breath of the Wild two was under development. I didn't think they were going to show it. And no, exactly. the, the funny thing that I, the funny thing was they show Nintendo directs to a lot of outlets under embargo were not one of them mm-hmm. uh and they only showed up to banjo and they're smart <laughs> because they're somebody smart. would have blabbed oh for sure yes for sure absolutely and they're they're very smart in that regard nintendo's very very strict they have to be so good on you nintendo keeping that one secret that was a great surprise i think it was a nice and surprise wasn't it yeah i like that surprise and I think that's what a lot of people are going into E3 wanting, is that yeah. cool little shock. You know, it's like, what? I can't believe this is happening. Like, uh, yeah, it's like, we work hard for through E3. It's nice to have a little surprise. Yeah, and it certainly made up for... I don't want to keep ragging on Microsoft, but it certainly made up for a very boring <laughs> Xbox press conference. Yeah, what was up with that? I, it was like, I honestly forgot they announced a new console during that. Like, someone yeah. mentioned it like oh yeah later in the week and i was like i forgot that happened like <laughs> wow that's pretty because it was such a boring conference i was talking to tom and he was like oh, it's a good advertisement for game pass and i'm like sure yeah sure i guess yeah I, game pass is like a great deal on like i might finally get it just to play outer wilds and like void bastards and a few it's other an incredible games, deal like, but they haven't done enough yeah. to whip up actual excitement around microsoft like so yeah. they got yeah, game pass like- but I mean, they got Flight Simulator back. That looks yeah. you know, like my, the first of 15 years. My brother is an airplane mechanic slash pilot. He is absolutely floored by, like, Flight Sim. He says he's going to buy an Xbox for that, and I believe him. Oh, I was going to say what's cool about that is, like, because they've been really hammering in this, like, Xbox and PC cross-platform stuff. So I feel like Flight Simulator is honestly happening because they put such a renewed focus back into, like, Microsoft PC stuff, you know? Yeah. So I feel like that's why I'm curious to see who's developing it because I don't know if they revealed that like it has to be an Xbox Game Studio, right? Like it has Microsoft. Yeah, like, some, like, I would think it'd be internal. Name. Yeah, because like that that studio closed like five years ago. I want to say like they closed the Flight Simulator Studio. So I'm wondering who the hell is making it because I don't know if that trailer had the a name on it. Ghosts. So. That game looks so gorgeous. Oh my god. It's yeah, so it looks nice. really pretty. Holy yeah. crap. I'm not at all into flight sim games, but I remember like my brother used to play them on the 486, so it's just quite a difference there. It gives me hope. If flight simulator of all things can come back from the dead, then perhaps <laughs> perhaps Tie Fighter still has a fighting chance. There you go. That's the attitude, cat. I guarantee that there is somebody who was watching that press conference and saw the flight simulator reveal and just burst into tears of like happiness because oh yeah absolutely it's been so long since the last one and there were just no hints that it was ever coming back yeah yeah it just seemed dead like they closed the studio and that was that i'm pretty sure i i checked reddit after that reveal just like you know looking for microsoft news in general just e3 news and like just there were the reddit was uh was so happy like pilots and and whatnot they were just like as you say cat they were probably crying i would believe it so, Nadia, were you crying at Collection of Mana and Trials of Mana uh, remake? I I kind of suspected they were coming, because, again, that was another thing that was kind of blown before it was showed up. But uh, I wasn't crying, but I am very happy about it. I'm actually playing it on my Switch. Uh, Trials of Mana, which, of course, is the new name for Seekin Dentetsu 3, and it's going to take me a very long time to get used to that. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um 
again, it's uh, I think I like the original Secret of Mana a little bit better than Seeking Densetsu 3, but the fact that we can actually play it now in English, that's not a fan translation, that's on my portable, it, it, it's pretty amazing. I am, I am like, going to teleport back to myself in high school in, like, you know, 95, was waiting, like, patiently for Secret of Mana 2 to come out and say, hey, guess what's going to happen, like, uh, 30 years from now or however long it's been. And we're getting a massive 3D remake. Yeah, and according to Eric, it's actually a lot better than the PlayStation 4 Secret of Mana remake that we kind of got last oh, yeah. year. Which looked horrible. I mean, it looked nicer. In that yeah. It already looks a that lot looks... nicer, I have to admit. I think that they got slammed so hard for the the low-budget, kind of low-poly look of the Secret of Mana remake that they were like, all right, let's... It looks like a PS2 game. Like, it just looked like a PS2 game. It was weird. Yeah. It was a weird game. Um, I liked it for what it was, but I'm a, I'm a hardcore Mana fan, so I'm, I like any kind of new experience in the Mana universe. Uh, but yeah, that was... Uh, if nothing else, I'm really irritated by the fact that the game crashed at the drop of a hat. Like, it happens so often to me. Come on, people. That's not excusable. Mm. There's also Tales of Arise, which uh, got a surprising yeah. amount of uh, traction because it looked like a Witcher game. Uh, Eric has had an interview with one of the developers, and by the time this podcast is up, should be up on the site. Should you go check it out? Yeah, it's being developed on Unreal Engine 4 now, I think. I think that's what mm-hmm. Eric told mm-hmm. us. Um, so that's, like, why it looks so nice. I think that's the most shocking thing about it, is, like, that trailer's like, whoa, this looks like a AAA game. And it's because it's being built on Unreal. A Tales game with uh, a budget. Which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? I, I don't know. I feel like I'm excited for it. Like, yeah. I really like t- Tales, of the Ab- uh, Tales of the Abyss, but I haven't really played any of the other Tales games. I haven't played a Tales game one. since Fantasia on the SNES. Someone did a, tra- a fan translation of that, and it was like a notorious fan translation, but yeah. Tales of Destiny is still the best one, but I have not been this interested in a Tales game since Tales of Vesperia, so... All right, so we talked through a lot of the best RPGs and the biggest announcements of E3 2019. So looking at main takeaways, I think my main takeaway is that March and April of next year are going to be freaking stacked. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Between yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake and Cyberpunk, just back to back, boom, boom, holy moly. Yeah, I am going to basically like just clear my life out for Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's the unfortunate thing is I always go on vacation around that time. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you do. You always have your like, annual week- week-long vacation. So yep. how dare you, Kat? Maybe you have to delay that. <laughs> yeah, so I might have to hold off on traveling wherever the heck I end up going just so that I can sit down and properly enjoy Final Fantasy VII Remake because so, I'll be kicking myself and if I'm out Cyberpunk. of the country. Man, that's going to be back to... Yeah, I just... Re- yeah, it's like Final Fantasy in March and then Cyberpunk in April. And yeah. then Dying Light somewhere in the span of those two. It's, oh, man. Oh, and don't forget Animal sucks. Crossing, everyone. And, oh, and <laughs> but at least that's a little more uh, easy yeah, to enjoy. Yeah, it's easy going. On your, yeah, it's like on you your play time. a little bit every day. That's not like a binge game. It's like you just chill out, check on your town. Animal Crossing is... Everybody's going to be like, oh, I'm playing Animal Crossing on my Switch, Final Fantasy VII Remake on my PS4. Life is good. Speaking mm-hmm. of uh, things and RPGs and Switches, um, what is going to happen with The Witcher 3 on Switch? I have a hard time believing this is going to be a 32 yeah. gig game on a card and no DLC. Oh, shoot. I'm supposed to ask like or email someone about that, and I gotta do that. Please do, because it sounds like <laughs> there's some sort of like magic going on, like dark magic, and I'm not sure about this. Yeah. Compression. Yeah, I don't know. Time compression. I hope it doesn't look like Doom. That's all I'm saying. Like As long as it doesn't look as bad as Doom, I'm good. Did Doom look bad? I don't remember. Yeah, it pretty bad. It was fuzzy. It was so bad. They did the best yeah, they could, days. but I think it was it was very muddy looking. It was just muddy and blurry. It's not great. I was looking at some of the the shots of Witcher Three on Switch, and for the most part, it looks fine. But maybe like it, maybe the launch version that came out in 2015 without any of the right. graphical upgrades or anything like that, which would be fine. Yeah, I can deal with that. I I, I think the trade off to be able to play it in handheld mode as long as handheld mode has like decent frame rates uh it might be worth it i I mean i've already finished it i played it on my xbox one but there are plenty of people who only own a switch and are now probably very happy to have a chance to play the well one of the greatest rpgs ever made yeah Uh, yet yeah it was number three on our list and i think that witcher three on the go on a plane but that's awesome 
Yeah, it's a good I'm definitely game. gonna get it and play it again. And Romance Trist this time because I did Yennefer. The game's like 150 hours, Katie. You don't have time. Yeah, I will. Uh, yeah, I don't have time, so I probably won't beat it. But I'm gonna get it for Switch and like entertain the idea. I've been like saying <laughs> for a while that I, that I want to play Witcher Three for the first time, but now I might just wait to see how it winds up on Switch first. There you go. Katie lives in a time warp. She's able to play so many games that I'm like, how do you how do you have time to play this? Yeah, Katie. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. It's like, I just, Katie never I uses the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I'm very streamlined in my day-to-day life, you know. <laughs> Looking at the nearer term, I think games that we can look forward to this fall, if you're an RPG fan, I mean, certainly Pokemon Sword and Shield is going to be a big one. And we can also look forward to The Outer Worlds, which is coming out, I think it's September, I want to say. I don't remember the exact... October? One. Yeah. I think I feel like it was, like, by my birthday or something when I saw the release date. I was like, oh, by my birthday. Like, same with Modern Warfare. It's going to be a weird birthday game time. All Except my birthday's at the end of October, so there's always games coming out near my birthday. All right. Well, we can look forward to a lot of amazing games as always. And E3 coverage is a wrap, so we can all start relaxing for a little bit. It's going to be... What? I have so much to do. It's not a wrap for me. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a wrap. And we all get to rest. <laughs> Gotta sleep. All right, let's throw away these transcriptions. Gotta sleep for a week. Axel Bloggod is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever po- podcasts are sold. If you enjoy the podcast, please... Leave us a review, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on all of the social media accounts. Once again, I am at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Katie is at you may Katie. Katie, since you're on the show, is there anything you want to promote? I know you got a podcast and a Patreon. Yeah, I have Bad End Podcast. Um, that's I, I do it with my old coworkers from Kill Screen, uh, Josh Clickstow and Kyle Cookstow. Uh, we just, you know, make jokes most of the time. It's like, you know, it's a fun podcast. And uh, also I was on Giant Bombs live at E3 day two thing. I'm at the 11 p.m. slot. I think they like have uploaded them separately. So you can just find the section that says Katie McCarthy. Uh, yeah, and I was on that and that was pretty fun. It was very late at night and I had to like stop myself from yawning because I was very tired. Uh, but other than that, it was, it was really fun. I was just like, me, uh, Andy from Game Informer, and then a few people from GameSpot and Jeff Gersman hosting, obviously. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Stay tuned for all of our RPG coverage and E3 coverage over on the site. You can go find it pretty easily. We got a nice big roundup for you where we are interviewed the Pokemon Sword and Shield developers. We interviewed the Cyberpunk developers. We interviewed the Tales of Arise developers and the Trials of Mana developers. So you can find all of that good stuff over there. But Okay, we'll be back next week. We'll be restarting the console rpg quest and then i think nadia and i have some games that we want to be talking about because we've been playing some games and some rpgs we haven't had a chance to talk about them yet but i i think it's time for me to review slay the spire yeah and i should uh uh, i don't know if i'll have enough to review but i'll definitely want to talk about it i've been playing it too but for nadia katie and myself thanks for listening and until next time happy adventuring